Hello and welcome to the Smells Like Infinite Sadness podcast. I'm your host, Michael Taylor. For those of you who don't know, I run the website, SmellsLikeInfiniteSadness.com. It's a blog covering the best alternative rock from the 80s and 90s up to present day. I'm a proud middle-aged Gen Xer who is still obsessed with the music of his youth and loves to talk about it. This week I've got a very special guest. I'll be talking to James Stevenson. He's a guitarist who's worked with a host of veteran punk, new wave, and alternative acts over the years. He's probably best known as a guitar player for Gene Love Jezebel, but he's also worked with The Alarm, Chelsea, The International Swingers, The Cult, and Holy Holy, a supergroup performing the works of the late David Bowie. James is looking back on his body of work with a new album entitled 40 Years in the Rock and Roll Wilderness that's coming out April 27th on Pink Gun Records that features contributions from all of the aforementioned groups, along with other tracks from the likes of Tricky, Generation X of Billy Idol, Kim Wilde, and a ton of others. Uh, James and I discussed the new album, From Hard It Was to Narrow Down Such a Vast Body of Work, some of the stories behind some of the tracks, which will be in an upcoming book. We also discussed some 2018 tour plans for Gene Love Jezebel and The Alarm, and much more. So sit back and enjoy the interview, and I'll be back afterwards to play a song off the new album. I did an interview with you before, right? A few years ago. Yeah, that's right. I think it was about four years ago. I noticed you had a list of, like, the mo- in fact, Mike Peters has just asked me. You had a list on your site of the 50 most underrated guitarists of all time. And I was on there. Billy Duffy was like number six. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was one of the first and, things. And Mike, said, Mike, Mike Peters asked me if Dave Sharp was on there. You remember? It <laughs> 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 isn't. Anyway. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, Dave Sharp. <laughs> well, so I've been having a chance to listen to the double album. I've been enjoying it a lot. I really have been kind of having a blast getting to go through all the different tracks and everything. And I was kind of struck. You've done so many different kind of works, different artists and bands and, and all that. How, when did you decide to start making this album and how hard was it to come up with a final track listing? How, how intensive um, was that? I, I, I started, I mean, it, to be honest, it's kind of a vanity project in a way, but I started thinking about it like probably three years ago. And then I started putting it together and, um, yeah, deciding what to put on it was. I mean, I would have loved to have had a Scott Walker track on there. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff that I've done, but I wanted to limit it to two CDs. And you know, the hardest part of all was dealing with the because some of the tracks I had to license in from major labels, and that was just the hardest part because, like, dealing with those people. I mean, it's just a miracle they're in, in business at all. You know, I mean, there's, <laughs> and the music industry is so tough anyway compared to how it, how it used to be. And then dealing with these people that won't – you're trying to give them money. They won't call you back. You know, they, it's just unbelievable. But we got there in the end. So, yeah. And the track listing kind of changed all the time. I mean, there's a track on there called Big Tears, which was a band I had with Glenn Matlock with a singer called Gary Holton who's probably more famous in the UK, but he was in kind of a legendary pre-punk band called the Heavy Metal Kids. And I think in America they were just called the Kids, and he was quite a successful actor as well. And he actually he OD'd in like just when I first started my first Gene Loves Jezebel Bell tour in 1985. He was only 33. But we did these demos. We did three songs with him, and none of them have ever seen the light of day. So I just decided at the last minute to put that track Big Tears on there. Which is ne- no one. It's never been released before. So, I was actually going to mention that. It's probably my, one of my favorite songs off the album. It's so catchy. I, I like it. It's got a really good yeah. energy to it. So, I I was actually familiar with him as well. So, 
were you planning on working with him more before he passed away, or was it kind of like a one-off thing that you, you guys did together? No, 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 working, me, him, Glenn, um, and who else is in the band? A guy called James Hallowell, a keyboard player, and a drummer called Dave McIntosh. And in fact, we did, we had the same manager that Geno's Jezebel had. That's how it come I ended up in Geno's Jezebel. But we were like, did these three demos and we were like putting together, you know, it was going to be a, like a proper band. And we had a, a, we would at a rehearsal and we had a very famous uh, A&R guy called Muff Winwood, who's actually Steve Winwood's brother. He came down to see us rehearse on like a Friday and he just loved it. And he just looked around at our manager and says, call me Monday, tell me how much it's going to cost, you know. And then he got fired on Monday. So that was the end of that. Oh, no. <laughs> and, then, and then literally a week later or two weeks late, later, Gino's Jezebel was starting their first tour of the US. And they're, they're basically their guitar player had a massive nervous breakdown. And our manager said, you've got to go out and save this tour. So, And then literally a month after that, I heard that Gary died. So it all happened in, you know, very, very, very close time-wise. And... You mentioned how it was kind of hard getting all the licensing together, but was it fun, kind of fun going back and kind of going through your musical history and, and picking through the you know your years, all the different artists? Was that um, it's so much fun? I mean, there's you know there's a track on there by a guy called Henry Badowski, who I was actually at school with him, and um, we were really good friends. We were in bands at school together, and he made one solo album for A and M Records, and then he hated the music business and just got out of it. And he but he made this one album called Life Is a Grand. And it's kind of a ledger. He still has a cult following on the internet. And I hadn't listened to that album for a long time. I was deciding which track to go to put on mine. And I just went for the baby he hit sign here with me, which is the, was the first single. And um, I, it's such an amazing track. And I was like 19 when I played guitar on it. So it's kind of interesting for me to go back through a lot of this stuff retrospectively and just listen to things I hadn't listened to for a long time. And I was, you know, looking back at all the stuff you've done. I mean, you've you've got so many different artists you've worked with. Were there any kind of favorite anecdotes that you think about when you were working on this album? That kind of memories that came flooding back of like some funny stuff that happened or some infamous things. You know, I mean, every band, you know, there's something funny happened every session. There's always. I mean, I'm writing a book at the moment that's also called Forty Years in the Rock and Roll Wilderness, which there'll be lots and lots of stories in that. You know, <laughs> but. People, I mean, I couldn't think of just one. And lots of people have said to me, well, how come you haven't got a cult track on there? And I'm like, I never recorded with the cult. <laughs> I went, like, you know, went on tour with them, but I never recorded with them. So this is all like stuff that I've, um, you know, that that, that I've, I've actually recorded on, you know. So, yeah, I, can't, I mean, oh, God, I mean, you know, just think of all the times I spent in, you know, Chelsea, Generation X, Genos, Jezebel. I've got a million funny stories. But everyone's going to have to wait for my book for that stuff. Okay. <laughs> well, also, I was wondering, because you work with The Alarm, you know, Generation X, Tricky, Kim Wilde, I mean, Genos, Jezebel. And I was kind of curious, do you like playing with so many different artists? Is that by necessity or do you just have a real need to work with a bunch of different artist kind of for your creativity sake or why have you decided to be so prolific as far as you know and collaborated with so many different musicians well one thing i mean i think it's good for you playing you know to play with different people i mean when i played with tricky i mean he had a very very different way of working compared to anyone else anyone else that i'd worked for all before that was like here's the song this is the chorus can you play some chords here and maybe a guitar solo but Tricky would just like, and this is in, remember, this is in the early 90s before 
you know, and hip hop and trip hop. And I mean, Max and K is a seminal album, really. And um, he would just get me to jam through, like, he'd just say, do whatever you want. And, you know, the engineer would play me the track and I'd just do what I want. He'd say, now do whatever you want on an acoustic guitar. Then I'd do that. And then, you know, it just sound like a mess. And then he'd go away and find the little bit he liked and loop that in a certain section. And it all, you know, made sense at the end. So, you know, playing with different people is really, really challenging. And now, I mean, it's if you, you know, making a living playing music, the only way you can do that is to go out on the road because you can't sell your music anymore. Uh, I mean, even the Rolling Stones can't do that. So, you know, I'd, and also, you know, my favourite thing to do is walk on stage and play my guitar. So, I mean, it's a bit of a juggling act sometimes, but... You know, I'm getting older, I'm busier than ever. I wouldn't have it any other way. And when you, I know because you've got your, you know, Still With The Alarm, Still With Jim Jezebel and Chelsea, do you get something from one band that you don't get from another? Is there kind of different things that feed you creatively between your different yeah, acts? I mean, every, every band has its own chemistry, you know. I mean, in some ways, you know, when I, and playing-wise, you know, when I play with Chelsea, it's very, very different to playing with Gene Loves Jezebel or Holy Holy or, or, or whatever, and, you know. So, um, yeah, you get different things with the chemistry and the friendships you have with all the people. I mean, all the bands, I mean, I, I get on with everyone. And, um, you know, I've been in bands and I see bands where the people, and you hear that these, well, look at Gene Loves Jezebel with Michael and Jay Aston, but... You know, you hear about bands where, you know, certain members didn't get on and, and I just think, oh, God, that must be just horrible to be in a band like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, you also included the rendition of Bowie's With the Circle from Holy Holy, you know, the super group that you've joined yeah. for, for Bowie songs. Yeah. How did you get involved in that? How did that start? That started because um, a company, uh, there's a, uh, uh, an institution in London called the ICA, which stands for the uh, Institute of Contemporary Art, and they were doing a Bowie week. And um, they put on, they had, they wanted a band to play some Bowie songs. And Maggie Ronson, who's Mick Ronson's sister, was kind of in charge of putting it together, and I knew her. And so she asked me to do it. And then it kind of got a little bit big. And then we did a live show actually with Clem Burke playing drums and Steve Norman from Spandau Ballet. And then Woody Woodman, he himself heard about it and wanted to be involved. And then he started playing drums. And then Tony Visconti, you know, got involved. Woody asked him if he wanted to join the band. And we'd go out and do the whole of The Man Who Sold the World in its entirety. And I mean, for me, I'm a huge Mick Ronson fan. So... I mean to play to play his parts with the people that made the record. You know, it's just it's a it's a great privilege for me. It really is. So w working with Tony has that been kind of like music lessons in itself? Just hearing his stories and anecdotes and all that. What has that been he's, like? He's yeah, he's incredibly talented as well. And so, and he's you know you've got to remember he's worked with Bowie, T Rex, all these people. And sometimes we're sitting on the bus and he's telling these stories. And I just want to put my phone on record. <laughs> I just think I better not do that. That's like a betrayal of privacy or secrecy. But no, I absolutely love doing it. I've become actually really good friends with Tony and he's like does sessions and he's got me down to play on other stuff he's producing and um and uh yeah, that's 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 just been awesome. And I I actually when we were doing the new Gene Loves Jezebel record, Dance Underwater there's one track on there, I don't know if you've heard it, called um, How Do You Say Goodbye to Someone You Love. Yeah, I've heard that. I just thought it would really benefit from having one of the Tony's string arrangements on it because he's classically trained and he writes everything out. And So I spoke to him and I said, there's this one song. He said, well, send me the track, you know, and I'll see. And I said, we've got no budget. 
anyway, I didn't hear back from him. And then I saw him. Uh, I was recording. He was producing a girl called Daphne Guinness. And I was pl- he got me down to play guitar. And I said, have you listened to that Gene Loves Jezebel track yet? And he's like, oh, sorry, I haven't listened to it. And I said, please listen to it, Tony, because we've nearly finished the album. We need it. If you're going to do it, it'd be great. But anyway, and then he rang me up like the next day. And he said, I love it. I'm going to do it. And he did the string arrangement. I think is incredible, you know. So you can hear that on there. And speaking of that album, you know that that was a really I thought it was a really solid album from you guys, and it got you know pretty good reception. I actually I really enjoyed it a lot. Were you pleased yes. pleased with how that came out? And have you guys started working any new songs or? Um, we haven't really started working any new songs, but we're doing our first show in the USA, May the twelfth, our first show for about 10 years in America. Um, and yeah, we love the, I love the record. I, I mean, I put it on, I listen to it for pleasure. I think it's a great record. Everyone I play it to is like, wow, that's incredible. Um, you know, and there's a song, there's a song on it called a lot of the songs were Pete Rizzo, the bass player. It's kind of got much more involved in the creative process. And about three or four of the songs on the album, are Pete and Jay have a side project called the ugly bugs. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so with that, I was listening to her record, and there was that that track, you know, How Do You Say Goodbye? And I said, that's an incredible song. We should be doing that in Gino's Jezebel, you know. And we did it properly with Pete Walsh producing, so, you know, it came up. But, but Pete's involvement creatively, you know, he used to just be the bass player who turned up, and now he's got much more proactive in the songwriting and all that other stuff, which I wish he'd done that 20 years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, speaking, yeah. speaking about that show, I know that you guys have kind of had – you know, issues coming here because of the name with Michael's side of the band and how that's, that's kind of worked out. So tedious, you know, I mean, Michael, it just, we've got this agreement with him, you know, you can't, so we have to give him 75 days notice and then it has to be billed as Jay Aston's Geno's Jezebel. And, you know, the first ad the promoter put up, he didn't put Jay Aston's and Michael started making this huge fuss. So we changed it and we've done everything to try and keep that guy you know, to follow what he wants. And he has to do the same if he comes to Europe, you know. But, you know, it just seems that he's always pissed off making a fuss. And I saw something on Facebook, you know, that it was actually his guitar player wrote. It said, like, yeah, break the law, sell a ticket. Like, as if we would try and pretend to be Michael's version of the band to sell a ticket. Like, yeah, right. You know what I mean? So his guitar player, Michael Cirovolo, said that, who's, well, I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, it was it was really strange because I, I you know I reviewed Dance Underwater and I you know I've interviewed you and before and and, and Jay and I've actually gotten several really nasty emails from Michael Aston who has really kind of <laughs> gone off on me. <laughs> you know, there's you know there's something wrong with that guy. You know, <laughs> I can say. But do you guys think you might play some more U.S. dates besides that one? Have you guys got any thoughts on oh, doing it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, there's this other discrepancy, which I don't know if you know about this, but for British bands to come and play in the US, we have to get like an American work permit, which I have a permanent American visa, but, you know, and it's very, very expensive. And for American musicians coming to the UK, they don't have to go through all that. And it's really, really grossly unfair. So we spent a lot of money getting J and Pete visas. So now, yeah, we can, hopefully we're going to exploit it, you know, as much as we can, come there as much as we can. We haven't played them much at all in the past 10 years we're proud of the new record and we want as many people to hear it as possible yeah so last time i saw you guys had to be when you played austin that'd be 1990 maybe for the kiss of life tour i saw you guys at the back room it was a a great show but 
Yeah, yeah I remember the back room. We've played in we've played in Austin since then because um, Tim Palmer lives there. Oh, really? The producer that he did Kiss a Life, and he we did a show there in like the. It must have been in the early two thousands, and I can remember him coming down to that show. So yeah, I, I didn't, can't remember who it was. Yeah, I didn't know he lived here. Well, hopefully you guys can. Yeah, make... a few people live in Austin. Austin's cool. Yeah, it's it's got its it's got his qualities. <laughs> well, I was curious. Do you have any other plans musically for the rest of the year besides this album coming out? Any other projects or any tours? Or you say you're about touring with the Alarm right now, right? Well, yeah, I'm up in North Wales right now rehearsing with the Alarm. In fact, I'm in Mike Peters' office, um, and I've got loads of stuff with the Alarm. Um, in fact, this that the Totally Eighties Festival in Huntington Beach. I'm doing with Gene Ochs as well. I'm doing it with the Alarm on the same day as oh, well. Oh wow! So that's going. You know, we're only each band's only doing a half an hour set, so it shouldn't be too challenging. And um, so I've got a lot of Alarm stuff uh, playing in. I've got some British dates with the Alarm, and then um, nothing in the Holy Holy Diary right now, unfortunately. Um, and then I've got some shows with Chelsea in Eastern Europe, actually, at the end of June. Some more stuff with the Alarm in Central Europe in mid-June. And then I'm doing the whole of the summer with the Alarm around the USA. So we, I'm sure we'll be playing in Austin. You have to come down. For sure. And yeah. And I don't know if it's even possible. Have you given any thought to doing any solo shows for, for the for the double album? Would you even be able to figure out how to pull that off with different singers? Or is that not even... That's just too expensive. I mean, I've I've done I've had a proper solo album out as well about three years ago that I'm really really proud of, and I've done like two solo shows for that, and I've really enjoyed the transition to, from. I mean, I'm a guitarist, I like to be a side man, but the transition to being a front man I thought was going to be really difficult, but I actually really enjoyed it, and I did a couple of shows in London where I did my album in its entirety, but to, I thought you know to do my solo album justice, I need a big band with some girl backing singers and. It just ends up when you're playing to, you know, 150, 200 people, you just can't economically make enough money to, to, for it to break even even. So I can't, you know, unless I figure out a way to go on the road and so that I can break even and not lose money doing my solo stuff, I probably won't do it, unfortunately. You know, unless the Rolling Stones ask me to support them or something, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that covers all my questions. So is there anything else you wanted to add as far as the album or um, any, any word as far as when that book might be coming out? Oh, my book. I mean, I've been writing it for a long time. I've actually got an editor now, a guy called Rob Patterson, who actually lives in Austin as well. And he's been really kicking me up the ass and like, to, you know, trying to get me to move on with it. But it just, there's so much. And I kept journals as well. So you know, reading through those as well. So that, and there's so much stuff in it. So, you know, when I was in the cult, if Ian Asprey did something crazy or when I was in Gen X, if Billy Idol said something mad, I mean, I've got it all written down. So, you know, I'm really, and um, my editor, Rob, he's like, says to me, you are, you're writing the war and peace of rock and roll because usually <laughs> people, people want like 80,000 words and I'm at like twice that and I'm only halfway through the story. So oh, wow. it's going to be, it's going to be like that thick, you know, when it finally comes out. But I will get it finished, but I think it's probably at least a year away. But I, like I, I read it and I send out little excerpts to people that I know, and they're like, yeah, it's, good. it's a good story. Well, I can't wait to read that. That sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it will be. 
Well, thanks for talking to me today. Get in touch with me. If you see the alarm when we play in Austin, it'll be sometime in August. Make sure you come down and say hi in person. Absolutely. That'd be great. All right. Thanks so much. Cool. Thanks. Okay. Speak to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Cheers, mate. Bye. Thanks to Jay for taking the time to talk today. It was a pleasure getting to talk to him. Uh, you can pre-order his new album, 40 Years in the Rock and Roll Wilderness, via his website, jamesdevison.info, and keep track of all his other activities there. You can keep track of all things Gene Love Jezebel at genelovejezebel.co.uk. And keep track of all the latest alarm news at thealarm.com. Stay tuned next week when I'll be talking to another exciting guest. I'll be chatting with Tyson Todd Mead, the frontman for the Chainsaw Kittens, who's making a very exciting announcement to the political arena. So we'll be talking to him next week. I'll be excited about that. And as promised, we're going to end the show with playing a new track from his new album, which will be Big Tears. So listen to that, and I'll be back next week. Take care and talk to you soon.